Podcast of the Cinema. What's your name? I'm Alonzo Duraldi. You're Dave White. <laughs> We're film critics. This is our calm, show. Calm, calm down. Please, please calm down. I'll do what I like. Well, maybe you could do what I like. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? How about that? Why would I ever? There, there are moments in in your podcast life where I feel like you're you're. Yelling at me. I probably am. Yeah. Because you deserved it. I've no. <laughs> no, no, no. Why no. don't you think about what you did to make mommy yell? I, um, no, I'll tell you what I did. And it's not, and it, it's going to make you yell hooray. That's <laughs> what it's going to do. I, Dave White. See, here's the deal. You, you powered through our names so quickly. My name is Dave White. Yes. I'm a film critic. And you're here to say. You're Alonzo Duralde. You're a film critic. Yes. This is a podcast of the cinema. But first, I need to talk about the sandwich <laughs> that you made for lunch. And I have some good news for you. Uh-huh. You were describing the wrong thing, but kind of sort of making it the right way. Huh. Tell I was just more. well. I was just doing a little research here before the mic got turned on. Uh-huh. I, I I feel urgent an urgent need to share it with you. <laughs> Please do. You kept saying, oh, "I'm going to make a croque monsieur," and I'm like, oh. wait, 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 wait. I, I, That is not what I said. Turns out I described to you what I was doing. It turns and you said, out, oh, you're making kind of a. And I said, yes, a croque, but it's not a croque. You're make you were making a Monte Cristo. Um. Yeah. Now, were you doing it well? <laughs> as I said, while you were um, experimenting, as you were having a having a lark at the at the stove, you know, you have this thing in your pocket. It's got all the information in the world. Yeah, on yeah, it. yeah. And you could be like, "What's that sandwich that you dip in the egg and you put it in the pan and you?" And then you, and it goes into your mouth after that. Like, what's that called? And the name of it is the Monte Cristo. Yes, okay. So you made a ham and cheese sandwich. And you're like, what if I dunk it in egg and fry it? This is all a good idea. And you were doing the, 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 the technique mm-hmm. properly. Oh, good. However, what you left out was flavors. You see, yeah. I again experiment. You didn't really. I didn't like season. I didn't anything. season the eggs, and you know. So yeah, you know, you should have had some other items. Yeah. In the mix. Yeah. I was. I, I was, did take a bite. It was not not, not, not bad. Yeah. You know, for a relatively plain sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did not look up a recipe. I just thought, you gotta, what, if, what if? You can even ask the internet a question. 
No. You can ask Jeeves. I could have asked Jeeves. And, You're right. And, and Jeeves will tell you. Could, could have asked Bing. <laughs> the answers to your recipe questions. Could have asked uh, Duck Duck Go. What's that? I think isn't that a search engine? Oh, I don't know. I think it is. I don't really know anything about <laughs> the internet. I'm. I thought you were really into the internet. I'm pretty dumb <laughs> when it comes to the internet. So, um, good afternoon to you. It's Friday afternoon. Yes. It's late Friday afternoon. I'm getting hungry for dinner. We're going to have to order some food. Um, but first, we've got uh, cinema to discuss. We do. We also have uh, a very exciting uh, announcement for those of you who actually enjoy listening to this podcast. And we hope you do. We Why hope, are you here? We hope, <laughs> yes, that's what we hope. <laughs> You, um, you're going to get an episode today and then bing, bang, boom, another one tomorrow. Yeah. Why? Well, we've got some guests. Too many, in fact, for the amount of microphones that we own. And so what you did was you got us a new future, uh, future microphone. I did. It's not the microphones we are using. It's not the microphone we're using right now. We're using the old, the old timey uh, uh, 1947 radio program uh, <laughs> microphones that we've always had, and but the one that you got, the one you got us for tomorrow, to accommodate six people on a podcast, is it looks like a thing from space. It doesn't look that it's, much different from these microphones, actually. It's just no, it super looks different. Placed. It very much looks different. It's like a cross between these microphones and an old Norelco shaver. That's right. It does look like an old shaver, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's it still looks like a futuristic thing to me. Okay. It's because for you, the future will always be <laughs> 1975. <laughs> I uh, I'm ready for the guests. I just have to clean up the kitchen a bit. I baked a cake. You did. So the guests can enjoy the cake or reject the cake and feel guilty about Their it. Their call. They'll feel bad about rejecting the cake. But, you know, that's part of my fault. Or maybe they'll reject it with a clear conscience. You don't know. All I, all I really care about is I don't want them to take a bite and then reject it. Well, no. <laughs> but you know what? The, the, these are the couth kind of people right. who would at least fake it. They'd fake it. They'd go, hmm, yum, yum, and take little actor yeah. bites. Yeah, like they'd yeah. have half and then sort of like mush the rest <laughs> Push, of the around. Yeah. <laughs> I, um... Do you have a dog? I had to, uh... I had some Christmas ingredients in the pantry. Mm-hmm. I thought, I need to get rid of these. Spring is coming soon. Yes. And nobody wants to be eating Christmas time treats in April and May. I mean, you do. I would, but I'm not here to please you 24/7. We've established that. I got. I have other guests yes. in this home. You want everything to be pastel colored in no time. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 time for Peter Cottontail. <laughs> so no, I um, this is so dumb. I had all these chestnuts. Yes. <laughs> not. And without an open fire, obviously not for roasting on an open fire. Uh, they're candied chestnuts. Yes, that you make into delicious baked uh, treats. 
So there's been lots of cookery going on today. One of us used a recipe. <laughs> yeah, and you made a thing that you've made before, and you know that is really And delicious. this time, it sunk the least of all the times I've made it. Well, you, you, you put it in a different thing, right? Yes, but that's not why. <laughs> okay. That provided, that made its own problem happen. Okay. Normally, I make it in a bunt pan. Right. And if you love conversation like this, can I, I recommend <laughs> our show, Linoleum Knife and Fork, available sure, exclusively to our Patreon subscribers? not an ad for the Patreon right now, but, I mean, this is something that we do on the Patreon. <laughs> um, no, I used I didn't use a bunt pan this time. I used, a, a like, an angel food cake tube yeah. pan. And it came out n- neater because it's a flat mm-hmm. uh, top yeah. instead of a rounded top. And the top of the cake is all chopped pecans and chopped candied chestnuts and chopped apple and, you know, brown sugar and butter. And, and it's that. like an upside down cake. Right? Yes. And so you want that top to be level. Uh, and I've tasted it and it tastes really nice. Good. It's, it's like a coffee cake, basically. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, not a coffee cake. It's one of your best cakes. I, I feel the best about it. Than I've ever felt before. I know you feel like you're still in the process of mastering it, but it's already one of your. I'm best in the cakes. process of trying to make it not f- do that when you take it out of the oven, and it baked all the way through. It's not like it's underbaked. It just yeah. somehow it's dense. I've 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 figured out all the other cakes how they should not, how to make them not fall, but this one wants to fall, and this one did want to fall today, but it didn't. Like it just sort of, it's a bit of a depression mm. in the middle of it. Doesn't matter. Had a slice. It's super nice. Great. Would you like to talk about a film that you have seen, but I have not yet seen? And I probably won't be seeing it for a while. I need uh, to be in a, a largely empty theater for this so that I can get up and move around without distracting people is I can't sit for three hours right given my current leg condition uh, so much like Oppenheimer uh, get up mm-hmm. move to the side out of people's line of sight put your left foot in no you put your left no, foot out no no my left foot is the good one my <laughs> It's the right one. And then you shake it all out. That is not going to be shaken either. Okay. I just need to be in a I need to be in a, a, a place where no one's distracted by me and my up and down. Right. Uh, so I'm gonna wait a couple weeks. Well, I'll tell you, I, because yeah. the movie opens today. Dune two. Dune, that's the film we're talking Dune about. Dune part two. Dune part two. I, I will be very broad and non spoiler. Okay. Since almost no one has gotten to see it yet. Is he the Quishatch Hatterer? Is he the Glib Blap Gliggle Blap? Is, <laughs> is that... he the Flip Flap Gliggle Blap? Is, is he? <laughs> Only time will tell. <laughs> How do you uh, say that word? The Quishatch Hatterer. Yeah, that one. Um, I have. Uh, and, we, and when you do see it, we can go into more detail. And by that time, folks will have caught up with it. But, okay. Um, yeah, so this is, you know, obviously the second of the, the Denis Villeneuve. Uh, Villeneuve, however the heck you say it, I keep seeing different pronunciations. Um, adaptation of the Frank Herbert novel that I have not read, 
So all the plot things in this movie were a surprise to me. Um, and, uh, you know, picks up right where Dune 1 leaves off. And lucky for me... You went to see Dune 1. I went Dune to see 1 Dune 1. Uh, a couple because weeks I, ago. Yeah, because I yeah. the day before that I saw Dune 2, I went. I, I paid, you know, my, my AMC stubs to see Dune 1 in IMAX because I'd never seen it projected. I'm sorry, did they charge? What, did no, you have to no, buy a no, ticket? No, no, no. Just, it was covered in your it was covered Nicole, on your Nicole yes. Kidman card. Okay, yes, yes. All right. I only the only things I've ever had to pay for at AMC with my Stubbs card. Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Beyonce and Taylor Swift. Right. Exactly. Right. So I had not seen Dune One, duh, uh, in the theater uh, because it was 2021, and right. it was we were still not That's doing right. that. We yet. weren't doing and, that yet. Nope. And it was day and date on HBO Max, so I watched it on HBO Max, and I thought it was like. Okay, um, it didn't super engage me, and the comments on the Breakfast All Day YouTube were all like, "Oh no, you have to see it projected. You're not really seeing the film. You're not getting the full bottle." All right, so I'm like, "All right, fine." Before cool. I see, before I see Dune Two, I will see Dune One in IMAX and give it its fair shot. And I will say, Dune One in IMAX, the scope, yep. the craft, yep. I was much more taken with. Um, but I still had a lot of the same problems. Is that the I had. color black blacker, like in the little ad that they show you before the? <laughs> uh, probably black used to look like this. Now it looks like oh, this. Right. <laughs> Fire used to look like this. Now it looks like exactly. This. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it was just it was you know it's it, it's a completely different experience. Like I, I literally watched the first one on one of the TVs in the deck, the Hallmark office, because that's where I was that weekend when yeah. that movie opened. Um, but you know, you you know, you get carried away by the the whole thing. And and I will say both of these movies, what they really have going for them is in an era when so many effects jobs feel rushed and you can sort of tell where the seams are and you can sort of sense the fakery of the you're standing in front of a green screen, it all looks legit and real and powerful and, you know, weighty and all of that stuff. I thought in the first movie that the characters were kind of underdeveloped in the sense that they were only there to serve their function in the plot. And frankly, in Dune Part 2, I would say there's more of that. <laughs> They're still just there for what they do in the plot. But the plot picks up. <laughs> because the first movie is all about, like, here's who the Atreides are, and here's who the Harkonnens are, and yes. here's who the Fremen are, and yep. here's what the Spice is, and here's what Arrakis does, and these are the... Da, 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 da. You know, so like you're basically putting all the chess pieces on the board. Right. And in this movie, the chess pieces move and knock each other off the board, and that's more fun to watch. Um... So, yeah, you've got you've got Paul and his mother kind of, you know, becoming acclimated into the, the, the Fremen tribe... Um, the mother becoming like their reverend mother and sort of subtly pushing the idea that her son is the Messiah, which he's not necessarily wanting to like, yes and, but when it becomes clear that maybe that will help in other agendas that they want to accomplish and getting the Fremen united behind them, that maybe should imply that, oh, I could be the Kwisatz Haderach, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of that going on. And um, we meet... The really scary Harkonnen, um, uh, Fade Rotha, Sting in the da David Lynch version. Right. This time it's uh, they Austin couldn't. Butler. They couldn't get Sting, so they got Elvis. 
Um, right. And he's quite terrifying. Oh, okay. Like, Austin Butler, I was impressed with in Elvis, and I knew he was like a Disney kid or something, and I didn't really know, like, okay, you're really good in this, but, like, I don't know what else you've got in your yeah. quiver. Whoa, you've got this. <laughs> like, he's he, he's a real presence. Punishment freak. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, has... What, you know, he's got like no hair, no eyebrows, and just like just looks menacing and, and is okay. quite quite terrifying, quite okay. effectively terrifying. Um, and yeah, so like I, I you know I don't want to get into it, and if you've read the book, you know what happens in this one. But there's a lot of there's a lot of plotting and a lot of moves and a lot more worms than in the first movie. I love the, I love those worms. Oh well, they're you, fun. You get no shortage of worms here, yeah. and and the way that they sort of how the Fremen can, to some extent, control them, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. Um, and no, I don't have the popcorn. Uh, you reach container. inside the worm's mouth, it has popcorn it for has you. It has popcorn in it. <laughs> you know, I like to put snow caps inside my gummy worm's mouth, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, I would say if you if you are a fan of the first one, the the, the first of the, the new, this new adaptation, and you're digging how this is going. I liked the first one. I, too, watched it on the television. Yeah. Uh, and there, I don't think, it's, it's now it's out of the theaters again, right? Yes, but it is, but it's, it's, it's on both Max and Netflix at the moment, I think. Sure, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just going straight into part two. Yeah. I know things. Yeah, you'll you'll comb it together, but like I, I I've definitely seen the David Lynch one a couple times. You know, yeah. I, 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 how many Dune books are there? There's a bunch. I are mean, there? I, I, the, so this could just go on forever. Is that uh, what we're saying? Presumably, I mean, I, they're doing th- this. It's not. They're a doing at least three. Right? Yeah, it's not a yeah. spoiler to say this one ends with a you know cliff, not a cliffhanger per se, but definitely a more to come, everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so like we, we get introduced to quite a few new characters here, not just Fade Rotha, but also like Florence Pugh as the daughter of the Emperor and the Emperor who is now played by Christopher Walken. Mm. And um yeah, so it's uh I, I'm I'm glad I saw it and, and I, I had a much better time watching two than one just because I just enjoyed the sort of the machinations of it and I like how they're really going out not they're not shying away from the idea of portraying how religion serves as a as a as a way to manipulate politics basically hmm. <laughs> you know you've got the Bene Gesserit yeah you've got the Bene Gesserit again and like they are pretty much always the sort of shadowy figures behind the scenes and it's that thing of like well you know this Reverend Mother is backing this politician and that Reverend Mother is backing that politician and no matter which politician wins, the Bene Gesserit win because they're controlling the 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 you know the 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 entity that 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 wins out. So yeah, it's um it's I'm surprised more uh you know like evangelical loony types aren't crabbing about that. Or maybe they don't maybe they don't get it. Maybe they think that they're oh they're talking about the Catholics. <laughs> that's it. Oh, you can you can always count on them to 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 blame the Catholics. That's how the Papists behave. That's how the Catholics are. They're not like us. Yeah. Um. So yeah, when you see Doom Part Two, we can get more. I'll into see it in it, a couple but, weeks, and then we'll come back. And but I'll... you know, I, I I loved looking at this thing. I loved yeah. all like the costumes, just like the craft on display is really great. And Hans Zimmer is just 
going to 11 here. <laughs> and it's and it's a mix of things cuz like you get like these very sort of like traditional Hollywood action, you yes. know, heroic epic sweets. But then he'll throw in this sort of like Middle Eastern or African kind of, you know, uh, percussion or different sounds yes. and and almost bordering on experimental even, I okay. would say, at least in terms of how it's used in the film. And then because Hans Zimmer can't help himself. He makes the... Yeah. You That's know. my boy right there. That yeah. noise. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to see Madame Webb. Yes. Because <laughs> there was such a hubbub. <laughs> People got opinions. People got so angry. They had so many opinions. I thought, well... I need to be a part of this Pepsi conversation. <laughs> I need to join the conversation. Wrong Nepo baby. With a Pepsi. <laughs> no, no, no. There's so much Pepsi in this movie. Oh, there is so that's true. You're right. There oh, is my goodness. so much Pepsi Pepsi Cola. There's so much. There is a flash every time that involves a neon S. Yeah. <laughs> every time Pepsi was on screen. It turned to the two friends that I was with. And I just said, Pepsi! <laughs> also Mountain Dew. One of those friends left halfway through the movie. Not <laughs> because, because you kept doing no, it? No, not because of me. <laughs> halfway through the movie, the, the, the projection stopped. Um. It was a glitch. And they started it back up after like five minutes, but it was in the wrong place. Go. And no one, they didn't know where to put it back to, so they just had to guess. And <sighs> good thing we got rid of thirty-five millimeter. <laughs> so after the first or second try of putting it in the wrong place, and all these people getting up and going out and being like, no, that's wrong. You know, you've pushed, it's way too far ahead in the movie. How they knew that, I don't know. But, um... Well, because the, the plotting is so tight, you know, yeah. you can tell. So, uh, he left. He was like, bye. <laughs> if I leave now, I can still get a refund. <laughs> I stuck it out. You're a cineast. I'm buddies with Madam Webb. That's why. We're tight. Here's what I love about Madam Webb. <laughs> the, the villain uh, listens to opera. And there is nothing I love more <laughs> than a movie villain who listens to opera. It is, in fact, how you know that a person is evil. They either film. have a modernist house. Yes. They either either have like a, a, a very, very expensive, stark white... Richard Neutra. Glass, you know, home. Or they listen to opera. Or both. Or both. Always both. And both is an option. This goes back decades. Remember Fatal Attraction? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh no. She's listening to Puccini. Look Lady, out. Lady Stabs a Lot is listening to <laughs> Madam Butterfly or whatever. Um, oh, it was Madam Butterfly. It was Madam Butterfly. Oh, yes. I forgot what opera it was. It doesn't matter. If you're listening to opera in a movie, 
Look out! You're you're either gonna try to kill somebody, or you're you've got a a, a ray gun that's gonna take out the entire planet, <laughs> or you're a scorned lover and you're about to start slashing. Yeah. No good can come of it. No. I say this as a big fan of opera. Yes. Well, and the other option is, and you I go- just like the idea of villainy being attached to the opera fan because I want people to be afraid of me. <laughs> the, however, there is a codicil where if you go to the opera for the first time and cry... Oh, dude. Then you are... I cry every time I'm at the opera. You know why? Seats are uncomfortable? Because I'm better than you. <laughs> That's why. I just rewatched. I'm it. more emotionally uh, 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 intelligent. I have... I'm really in touch with my feelings. I just rewatched Moonstruck. Yes. The share cries. Share opera. cries of the opera. Yeah, of course. Has she and, ever been to one? And then the uh, first time. Okay. Well, that'll, and, that's why. That's how it happens. And then a few years later, Pretty Woman cries of the opera. Yeah. Well, but see, it's like six months between the first time you go to the opera and cry mm-hmm. before you're just taking people out left and right. <laughs> you got it. You, you. you got a taste of it. It turns you that fast. Lickety split. One matinee of La Traviata and yeah. Lookout World. Boom. Here's what I also love about Madame Webb. It is almost about nothing. And, and <laughs> I... It's a bold gambit for a superhero movie. I, I, <laughs> to barely have superheroes in it. And finally, and there's something just charming about a Hangout movie that's a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and just Dakota Johnson... Yes. And I'm be- now I'm being serious because you can tell uh, watching this movie that some really bad dialogue was written. Mm-hmm. Like bad, clunky dialogue that that is delivered in a way that makes you feel like the actors are saying to you sort of secretly, hey, man, we didn't... Ra- <laughs> I don't write this. I didn't write this. Maybe like, like, I'm just, I'm just well, standing and, here hitting my mark, well, right? Mr. Opera Bad Guy, they like loop practically every line he has. Kind of, yeah. Uh, you know who that actor is, right? Yeah, he's from A Prophet. <laughs> he's from A Prophet, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on his name Tamar right Rahim. now. Yeah, he's from A Prophet. Um, okay, so Dakota Johnson. This is, I'm just having a guess. There are moments when she's really serving. No, Ellen, I did invite you to the party. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's something she's super good at. Because I don't like children. Don't give me art. <laughs> she grew up. She's Hollywood royalty. Yes. She comes from a, an acting dynasty. A lineage. Yeah. And, and you know, she's seen some things. Hmm. Mom, grandma, dad. They told her all the stories. So she has dad dated Barbara Streisand for a while. Yeah, she has a bit of a of a uh-huh kind of attitude <laughs> yeah. about a lot of things and I'm super into that. It's sort of like nicer Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> yes. And it's like when Kat Dennings pops up in Thor, but this is if Kat Dennings was <laughs> Thor. So when everyone on the subway train in that one scene is about to be slaughtered and she keeps running into the guy yeah. who asks her what the train is, and she finally goes, 
I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like, I feel like you ad-libbed that. Like, if you didn't ad-lib that, you they are now... for you. You are now... You are now giving us exactly the version of you that we love the most. <laughs> there's a there's an exhausted, annoyed quality that she really is great at delivering. Um, and Which fits the character because by the time something happens to her, she's already witnessed it like three times because right, of her right. precognition abilities. <laughs> I also love how at the end... Can I just spoil it? It doesn't matter. Right? I, I think at this point. At the end when she's all like, her eyes are covered and she's in her new chair that does things yeah. and stuff. Um, she's really being like queenly. Yeah. Like she's, here I am now. I am Madame, Madame Webb. <laughs> and I'm sad that there probably won't be another one. Yeah, because this movie is all set up. It's like if yeah. you were, if you were, it's the same thing of like when you went. The, Maybe the, we'll get to have her in a like a, a future uh, team up. Who knows? Kind of movie, but like in the same in the, like I understand if you grew up with Gem and the Holograms and you went to the Gem and the Holograms movie and were really annoyed that they didn't give you um, the Runaways the until Misfits. like. The Misfits. The Misfits. I knew it was a band that actually existed. The Misfits. The Misfits until the closing credits. Yeah. In this movie, it's like they've set up this whole sort of Madame Webiverse with these like three other spider-related superheroines that you get like the tiniest glimpse of and won't happen for at least another movie if there is another movie. Right. So if that's frustrating for you, I get it, and I'm sorry. But like, I I agree with you. The idea of a, of a hangout movie that also is somehow tied into the Spider Verse, sure, why not? Do you have an AMC Stubbs card? Does it get charged to your bank account monthly, whether you go see something or yeah, not? Yeah, have you not used up all of your free? Have tickets? you not used up your freebies for the for the month yet, or the week, or whatever? You could do worse. You could. <laughs> could go see Madame Webb and have a weird time <laughs> trying to figure out what's supposed to what is this supposed to be about what's even happening I can't say I hated it no because I kept wondering why I was there and that is a legitimate response <laughs> to cinema uh, I had a better time watching that than I did in uh, uh, than at least one of the movies we're talking about today. Would you be referring to Drive Away Dolls? I would. Why don't you talk about what that is and what it's about? And then uh, we can talk about it. So Drive Away Dolls is uh, the first solo effort from uh, Joel... No, from Ethan Cohen. Ethan sorry, Cohen, forgive yes. Me. yes. Ethan Cohen. Uh, Joel made the that Macbeth movie with Denzel and Franny McVie. Um, this is. Uh, I want you to call her that to her face someday and see what happens. Oh, I, I'm not making eye contact with that woman. <laughs> I want you to run into her out of self preservation at the grocery store or something and be like, "Yo, Franny McDee. <laughs> and then have her. Pick up a shopping cart with her bare hands <laughs> with one arm and smash you over the head with it. The reason that Franny McDee is funny is that the last thing you would ever call Francis McDormand in real life mm -hmm. is Franny McDee. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, not to be outdone, Ethan Cohen has made a movie with his wife, 
uh, Trisha Cook, who is a uh, editor, and is, the two of them are credited as co-writers here, and she identifies as queer, and apparently they have a non-traditional marriage. They each have other partners. Bully for them. Okay, cool. Um, I mention all this because this is a lesbian. How do you know about this? Uh, it's, Was it? It's out it in, in the, the press. I yeah. see. All right. Yeah. I so they're polyamorous. That, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I mention this because it's relevant because this is a queer film. This is a lesbian it, it movie. It is a lesbian and caper, so, caper comedy. Yes. Yep. And so while the director is a, you know, cishet male, you know, the his collaborator here is not. Yes. So it's set in 1999. We begin in Philadelphia and um, Margaret Qualley and Geraldine... This one often. This one often. I'm always wrong on which syllable. Though. This well, one often. Because a lot of people aren't saying her name out loud because it's still earlier in her career. Yes. Yeah. Geraldine Viswanathan, uh, they are they are buddies and they are completely different. Geraldine Viswanathan's character is very buttoned up. She wears those those blouses with the frilly collar and the yeah. little tie thing at the top, you know. Yep. Uh Margaret Qualley is um, you know, uh, she she likes sex with a lot of people. She's much, free and easy. Yes. She's, she's loosey-goosey. Much to the chagrin. She's on the make. Much, she's on the town. Much to the chagrin of her girlfriend. Played she's by, a lady's lady. By, exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's a Shane, let's say. I did think about Shane a lot. We're talking about the L Word, the, the, L-word gra- the greatest television show of all time. Yes. Uh, I thought about Shane quite often when I was watching so, this. Much yeah. of the chagrin of her, her girlfriend, a cop played by Beanie Feldstein. So, Cindy, you said it was okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, Quali uh, and Viswanathan decide they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna leave town and make tracks and go to Tallahassee. And so they go to a driveaway place, which is one of those deals where you are basically you're paying for the to deliver a car yes. to its owner or to whatever. But less other. than you would pay for a rental car. Less than you'd pay for a rental, exactly. Yeah. And there's a timetable involved. Yeah. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the car that they get has the briefcase in the back seat that all the bad people It's want. got the what's up doc bag in the back. Yes. yes. They, they the MacGuffin on board. And so naturally they're then being chased by uh, somewhat bumbling criminals because this is a Cohen movie. So the crooks are not real good at their job, but they're, you know, they've got tons of banter. And, um, you know, they, they are pursued uh, all the way to Florida and you get a lot of famous folks popping up for cameos. There's, Lots of them. Yeah. Lots yeah. of people. We you won't know. even spoil uh, all their names. Well, you, if, you could go to If you've seen the trailer, I mean, you know. True, a lot of them are in the yeah, trailer. Yeah, Bayard Rustin is in Bayard. Bayard Rustin. Yes. Bayard Rustin. The you know. Bayard Rustin. The Bayard Rustin. From history. Coleman Domingo, <laughs> currently Oscar nominated for playing Bayard Rustin, is in this film. Uh, you know, uh, Bill Camp. Uh, uh, anyway, other folks who I will not spoil. <sighs> All right. I, I'll tell you. Yeah, okay. when, 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 I, when I say why I didn't hate Madam Webb, it's because I was never bored and I was never angry at it. No. Yeah. I was bored and I was angry at this movie. Okay. Now, before you go any further. Yes. There is what I'm sensing in the world, just from reading people's like little quick takes mm-hmm. on social media, is that it's kind of a 50-50 split with audiences. Yeah. I, you, either they really super love it yeah. or they really super hate it. And I'm, well, you do your thing. You know. I, look, on paper, I, I love all of this. Yeah. And the trailer 
is which I could not avoid because it was showing like in front of every indie movie for the last six it's months. so good I think our pal Bill Neal cut that drink. I, I have a suspicion <laughs> he'll he can tell us if we're wrong or not but I, it, it, it it's you know I fun. saw that trailer and was like oh okay fun here I come yeah. fun is gonna is yeah. gonna happen I'm to down me. for this yeah yeah and man that I'll tell you again just rewatched Moonstruck for breakfast all day Patreon that final scene where everyone's gathering in the kitchen to have breakfast is a masterclass in comic timing, both in performance and in editing, where there's these awkward silences and there's like people kind of, you know, throwing out these crazy bits of non sequitur, you know, I would love some oatmeal. And it's so funny and so perfect. And it illustrates everything this movie is doing wrong because the situations are potentially funny. The characters are potentially funny. The dialogue is potentially funny. But it is thrown together in such a way that the, the timing is just off. And you look at something like like the Steve Buscemi, Peter Stormari scenes in Fargo or, you know, the everything in, in Raising Arizona. Like, it's all about the da-da-da and the da and the right. and the hoop da da And this is funny because we're saying it like this and it's deadpan and da-da-da. And this one is just it, it. Things are just hanging in the air. Yeah. And and it just drained all the life out of this film for me. And then, on top of it, this film acts like in the year of our Lord twenty twenty four that dildos are just the most shocking, hilarious thing. Right. And they. It is set in nineteen ninety nine. It is set in ninety nine. But, but the movie, right? Uh, and they are they are referenced and shown quite frequently, mm-hmm. and you can just feel the movie being like, "Ha ha!" You, you, you are meant to find them giggly in a TV <laughs> way. Yeah, you know. Um, and there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, fake. Uh, uh, penises. Prosthetic, uh, right. yeah. As Mac Davis said in North Dallas 40, them fake dicks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, like, the this movie's idea of lesbian sexuality is like a junior high style makeout party mm. where everyone's in I a living room. that odd. Yeah. Everyone's in a <laughs> living room with the lights on and, like, you know, and you, cha- it's like a musical chairs yeah, kind of game. Yeah, you swap partners like, after every Linda Ronstadt yeah. song. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> And if it's meant to be sort of overdone, over the top and stylized, wherever it doesn't play that way, it just no, it plays, just plays like, like we're a bunch of weirdos, and yeah. we, we have we have like uh, uh, above the waist makeup parties, yeah, above the shoulders, practically. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Um, so yeah, I I, just, I I I I I don't want to be in a position of crapping on a wide release, you know, film that is attempting to have like queer content and to right. be of queer interest right right this right. ain't it right um all right i'll say this comedy hits everybody differently absolutely and i have been reading as i said uh you know people i know or kind of know on social media say the gamut of stuff mm-hmm. either this is garbage or this is hilarious hilarious and sharp and funny and fast yeah. and like perceptions about the 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 screwballness of it all um, are across the board. So I'm not gonna fault anybody for saying that they thought this was great and they thought it was funny because if it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh. And there's, I mean, 
If you if you're laughing and someone says you shouldn't be, <laughs> like what? Look, that's bad. As a general disclaimer, <laughs> if you don't agree with what we think about a thing, that's totally fine. If you don't like a movie we love, if you love a movie we think stinks, yeah, the world moves on. It's totally <laughs> fine. So, okay. Anyway, just having said that, uh, I too was disappointed, and I and I felt like I was sitting for a very long time in between stuff that made me laugh there are laughs in this movie for me uh, there were uh, a handful but like but <laughs> but not like laughs oh like actual laughs okay. yeah uh, but but it, i felt like i hadn't been given enough by the time it was over and i also as as you said felt like i don't understand who these people are supposed to be because they are not, it has a strange relationship with queerness, this film. And, and I don't know why. Like, I'm not really getting what I'm supposed to see in this as, as a queer person. Right. Um, and here's something that I remember saying last week when we talked about this movie on, on KCRW. Last year... You know, we got this one-two punch in the summer of Bottoms and Dick's the Musical. Yeah. And Dick's the Musical is, is like, wildly absurd. And Bottoms is just, like, nervy and mean and, and cool. Yeah. Um, and both of them made me laugh a lot and consistently. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't love Dick's, but I thought Bottoms was brilliant. And it, it has... Neither of those films are involved with any sort of recognizable human behavior. Sure. And neither is this one, but for this one somehow it just felt This one wrong. feels like it's trying to and isn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you, you, you've got to go far enough to where it's clear that That's, like yeah. we're operating in cloud cuckoo land here. And, and in its own way, like as absurd as it is, Bottoms felt truer to me than this movie that's sort of trying to be just kind of like a comic crime road picture. The all-star cameo-ness of it put me in mind of Skidoo, <laughs> a late 60s Otto Preminger film that starred many of the big stars of its day. Yes. Jackie Gleason, Frankie Avalon, Carol Channing, uh, 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 What's-His-Face uh, from Barbarella, uh, John Philip Law. John Philip Law. A, a lot of Batman villains are in this A movie. lot of Batman villains. Like, And it was meant to be this wild, you know, Countercultural, uh, counterculture, yeah, and there are even these like psychedelic freakout bits in Skidoo. Jackie Gleason drops ass, and there are lots of psychedelic freakout moments in, in this drive one. away dolls. True. Why? For the silly yet admirable reason of trying to give a shout out to the late Cynthia Plastercaster. If you don't know who she was, Google her. Um, but and to get Miley Cyrus in the movie, and to get Miley Cyrus in the movie, yeah. So I. I think about Skidoo and how it was such a colossal disaster and made no money. And 30 years later, Gen X is falling over each other, passing the VHS tape around, being like, have you seen this movie? <laughs> it's insane. And now it's, a, now it's a cult film. Now it's a big cult, you know, thought of very fondly as a cult film. Um, because it's trying to capture 
a counterculture and getting it gloriously Crazily wrong. wrong. <laughs> so I don't know what this one is trying to capture, but I'm looking forward to uh, 2064 when I am 100 years old. And, and all the baby lesbians. And are all like, the kids are like, this? have you seen Driveway Dolls? It's so crazy. <laughs> and we love it. And I just think, well, maybe that's, maybe it's, maybe 20, 30 years down the road, I'll be like, ah, now I appreciate this film. That's all. As a skidoo for the new millennium. The, the new skidoo review. <laughs> Coming right at you. Yeah. Uh, we watched the latest from Vim Vendors. Which is currently nominated for the Best International Film Oscar. Yes. It stars Koji Yakusho, uh, sort of legendary Japanese uh, actor. He's been in so many things. Yeah. Things you've probably seen. Yeah. And he won Best Actor at Cannes last year. The film is Perfect Days. And he plays a, uh, a man who cleans Tokyo's very specifically architecturally beautiful toilets. They and this is a thing that that uh, public Vim, restrooms. Vim vendors uh, is super into these toilets, <laughs> and, and can you blame him? And they're beautiful. Uh, <clears throat> each one of them is different. Each one of them is designed by a different you know uh, company or architect, and they're all gorgeous. And his job with the city is he's the guy that cleans them. Yeah. So he gets up every morning, and he goes through his routines. Gets to the job, does everything, finishes the job, goes home, goes to his favorite noodle bar, goes to his favorite place to get a drink, goes to the park, takes photographs. He has a favorite tree. (laughs) He uh, reads. He reads a lot of books. He goes to a bookstore with the lady who runs the bookstore, is always telling him what great taste he has in books. (laughs) uh, uh, tends to his plants. Tends to his plants. <clears throat> he gets a visit from his niece, uh, and he she stays with him for like a couple days. She's a teenager. There's some problem at home. It's not really talked about very much. There is a lot of... Uh, Implication. Yeah, but not a lot of explanation. So... When her mother comes to pick her up, you you get a you get a sense that there is some estrangement from the rest of the family. Don't know exactly all the details, but it it shows on his face the the sad uh, memories of of those family experiences. He lives a life that is. I don't want to say it's monastic necessarily, but it's also not not that. Yeah, it's it's ascetic with old cassette tapes. He, he has exactly what he wants, yeah. exactly what he needs. <clears throat> he interacts with the world around him exactly as much as he wants. Yeah. He's not a, a, a hermit. He's not antisocial. He is kind and gentle and good to the people that he lets in. And there is a a sense that the film is primarily, I think, about finding contentment in whatever circumstances that you have 
in life, even if there have been difficult circumstances in your life, you know. Uh, but barring extreme versions of that, you know, uh, abusive people or crushing poverty or, you know, catastrophic stuff. What this very quiet, very gentle movie, I think, is saying is you get to choose what you do in the world. And you get to go find what brings you peace. You learn what you want from life. Even if it feel, even if it means you might want to hide out from people <laughs> quite often, um, you focus on what you want. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's you know, uh, Vendors is a, a disciple of, of Yasujiro Ozu, and mm -hmm. and he has there is a feeling of the quotidian in this movie, and and even a repetition of the quotidian, yeah. and in other movies. This isn't Jean Dielman where like it's wearing down on him. This guy gets up every morning and he looks up at the sky and there's a sense of like, ah, another day. Uh, look, it's the sky. I love the sky. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm going to buy my coffee out of the vending machine. I'm going to take my truck into work. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to find fulfillment in it. And then I'm going to have time to myself to read or take pictures or listen to music yeah. or, you know, water my plants or whatever. And so I kind of feel like, you know, it is overtly about the the joy and fulfillment that can be found in, 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 you know, in work, in labor. Yes. But I think that it is subtly about labor that is, that, that you're compensated for. You know, we so often hear right. about that the, the people in this country can no longer have a full-time job and pay the rent in the city that they live in yes. and feed their families or right. whatever that one used to be able to do from a full-time 40 hour a week job. And, you know, while the movie never stops and says this, yeah, this guy does a job that maybe other people would never want to do, but he does it well, and he does it happily, and then he has time to not work. <laughs> right. He has time to enjoy The life. fruits of his labor. He has time to enjoy life. Yeah. Those, those pleasures are not extravagant. No. But they are what he wants. Yeah. Um... This is a, uh, like a lot of Inventor's films, to me, I feel like many of his films engage with a sort of secular spirituality. Uh, we talked about this in his inclusion of music mm -hmm. when we did an episode of our other, one of our Patreon podcasts called Linoleum Nights. Vim Vendors is very much a, a, hands-on guy when it comes to putting music in his films. And very often that music provides what, again, to me, feels like a sort of ambient Christianity, <laughs> but but never quite mentioning that, you know. Uh, it's I, I said secular spirituality before, and that's more, more likely what it is. But I mean, he did do a documentary about the Pope. <laughs> yes. Um... And I said this, forgive me if you heard us on uh, KCRW last week, but I'm going to repeat something I said. I think hanging out with him in real life would be like being a member of a left-wing hippie Catholic church in 1972 <laughs> with the folk masses and stuff and people baking bread and <laughs> whatnot. Prayers that, for incarcerated poets. That is, that is my feeling about wh where Vim Vendors has been and what he's about. Um, 
this film feels very much like, you know, look at the birds. Do they complain about things? You know, are they worried about anything? No. That sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, getting back to your ideas about labor, there's a moment here when he, when the sister, his sister, his estranged sister, yeah. comes to pick up the daughter who has, you know, run away for a couple of days. The kid gets in the car, and she, the, the sister, stands there and talks to uh, the the chauffeured uh, car. <laughs> yes, there's a driver too, so there's some money going on yeah. on the other end of the family. Koji Yakusho is standing there. She's talking to him, and she says. So you you really clean toilets for a living, and he just is like yeah. And you can see that this disappoints her, right? Not him, no. he's fine. And that moment reminded me of a '70s movie called Lifeguard with Sam Elliott, <laughs> where Sam Elliott's character is a lifeguard on Southern California beach. And he is having a great time, loves his job, has a lot of lady friends, <laughs> has a cool bachelor apartment, and every single person he runs into is hassling him about, hey man, a real job. when are you going to grow up and get a real job? <laughs> and, and I sat through lifeguard thinking, um, dude, that's a city job. <laughs> he gets Every government holiday off. <laughs> he has a regular working schedule. He's got health care. He's got a pension with the city. For when he gets skin cancer later on? Yeah. <laughs> what are you complaining about? He's got it better than you do. And he's having a good time, too. He likes what he does. That scene with the sister also reminds me of Five Easy Pieces, where yeah. Jack Nicholson, when we meet him in the film, is like working as a roughneck on an oil derrick or whatever. Yeah. And then later in the movie, you realize he comes from this really wealthy family that he's run away from. Yeah. And, and you know, he's not nearly as content as the lead character here, but definitely the kind of thing where, like, I had to get away from that and I'm going to just... You know, I, I will I will carve out a place for myself in the world, even if it means doing the kind of blue collar labor that everyone I'm related to is going to look down their nose at. Finally, we are going to talk about about dry grasses. Yes, that is the latest film from uh, internationally acclaimed Turkish filmmaker Nuri Bilgis Ceylon. Now, if you've never seen a Nuri Bilgis Ceylon film. Or if you've only seen ones from his early career, uh, you should know that over time he has uh, shifted gears a little bit from uh, films where there's not a lot of talking to films where there's a whole lot of talking. <laughs> Lately, he has uh, uh, been giving his characters a lot of things to say. This three-hour and 17-minute film involves people doing a whole lot of talking. This is, the, uh, this is my first Nuri Bilgisilan film, but I assume it's his most Eric Romer-type uh, film. Um, sure, let's say that. I, I, I don't think of him and Eric Romer in the same way, but I, but I, I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. 
Uh, it stars uh, Denise Selilolu as a man named Samet. Samet is a uh, high school teacher, a middle school teacher, middle assigned to rural eastern Anatolia. When you are a public school teacher in Turkey, they move you around. They, they, they send you out to the, the rural areas to sort of like do your time. And, yeah, and when, then, you're, when you're new, then you don't, when you lack seniority, you get sent out yeah. to the provinces. Uh, in this part of the country, there are two seasons. <laughs> there is six months of blinding snow and, and then a shorter period of time uh, where everything is dry and it's sort of summery, and hence the title. Semet, in particular, has some troubles. He is the main character here. He's an extremely difficult man to like. He's uh, petty, and he's condescending, and he's a know-it-all, and he's vindictive, and he lies. He's a smug narcissist. And at the same time, you can feel that he doesn't want to be. He wants to connect with people very badly. But he just can't and won't, and he keeps screwing it up. And this is not in a cute way. <laughs> he is a jerk who seems to be unable to stop himself from being a jerk. Now, I could tell you the plot, but we'd be here all day. Because <laughs> this is a story of uh, three people. Uh, he has a fellow teacher, a co-worker named Kenan, played by an actor named Musab uh, Akisi. And the woman they both want, uh, another teacher, her name is Nure, played by Merv Dizdar, and she won Best, Best Actress. Actress at Cannes for this movie last year. It is not even a love triangle, necessarily. Not exactly. It is the story of people who are trying to find their way through life, frequently failing, getting in trouble, being accused of things they didn't really do, but then doing other terrible things anyway. <laughs> now, so in many ways, what I'm saying here is that the plot is not necessary to know going in. There's a lot of plot. There's a lot of digressions. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of characters. It is, as we both said before when we were on KCRW, it's, it's novelistic. Yeah. Um, there are long scenes of conversations where people are sort of hashing out what it means to be a decent human being. Yeah. How, how will you conduct yourself in the world? And will your words and your actions meet? Yeah. What do you think? I, 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 this is my, again, by the my, way, it's great. I, did I leave that part out? Yeah. It's great. This is yeah. my, my first film from this director. So I can't compare them, compare it to his earlier films, but, uh, yeah, I, I found it really moving. I was enwrapped in the conversations, mm -hmm. um, because they're about bigger issues and they are also sort of like really kind of bringing an understanding of who these characters are and how they function and what they mean to each other. Um, and I like the world that he fills in here, like the other teachers at the school and, you know, the people in town who are 
find themselves stuck there or maybe have decided they want to be stuck there, you know? Um, yeah, I, this is, this is a film to curl up in and I, it, it breezed by in a way that drive away dolls at 84 minutes or whatever right. did not right. like, yeah, it's three hours plus, but it, it needs it. And you, you want to follow all the, the, the highways and byways of, of where this story takes you. Um, it has one sort of, there's a bold stylistic choice that I know has annoyed some fans of, of Bill Gesellon. Okay, before you go any further. And I'm not going to spoil okay. what that is. It is something he has never done before. Yeah. From a formal perspective. Right. And when he does it, you, first of all, you'll know it when it happens. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be, you know. Steeped in, you don't have to be steeped in the art house to realize what's going on when this thing happens. And again, without going into what it is, I think it has a very specific character building reason for yeah. happening. Yeah. And so, uh, if anybody wants to have a little mini spoiler conversation about it, uh, you know, maybe in a few weeks or six months from now, yeah. or who knows when, when it goes to streaming or something. You know. Perhaps. You would just like to contact us uh, personally and ask about it uh, if you have questions about it. But I think it ha- I think there's a reason for it. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the, the, the way this character conducts himself in most circumstances. Right. Um, so, anyway, moving on. This is a really great movie. I... Really want to recommend it very, very highly. Yes. Uh, Agreed. I love films like this where you don't know where it's going. It doesn't build to any sort of traditional climax or third act payoff. It just gives you lives of people. Yeah. And a lot to think about and a lot to consider while you're watching it. It's not difficult. It's not hard to understand. It's just... A, a, a visit to a place you don't live yeah. <laughs> with it, people you don't know. And it's not but, even. That you want to understand better. And yeah. even though, like, the lead character, like you say, is obnoxious and, and hard to like, he's not a villain. No, yeah, he's, a, he's just a typical, like, jerk. He's a dissatisfied person. And he, yeah, and he's, and he dis- he's dissatisfied with himself. Yeah. And so there are, it's not, he's not a, a, a monochromatic no. bad dude. He's the architect of his own misery, yeah. perhaps. You yeah. Know. Um, so, okay, we have a bunch of letters. A lot of them. And we're going to do a, a, a mostly letters episode after, after tomorrow's special. Uh, special with the guests. Yes. Yeah. So, so much to look forward to, I, everyone. I, fingers crossed, you know, on the guests. Barring yeah. any barring any weird, extraordinary circumstance, exactly. these guests will be here in this podcast. Unless there's a sudden atmospheric river situation yes. here in Los Angeles. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Anyway. But it's called About Dry Grasses. Yes. And if that title makes you think, oh no, what what's this? <laughs> well... You'll have to wait for it because yeah. the the dry grasses they do show up. Yes, you can elbow your date and say it's the dry grasses. Look, it's the dry grasses. 
So thanks everybody for listening. Um, please kindly check out my other podcast, yeah, won't you? Do uh, Christy Lemire and I have a show called Breakfast All Day on YouTube. It's, it's enchanting. It's also available as a podcast. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. And Max Fun Drive is coming up real soon. And we're devoting March to various Dune adaptations. If oh. that's something you're excited about. Okay. You should be because the first one will be a discussion of David Lynch's Dune with our good friend Guy Brand. So that's going to be a great episode. Um, you can also hear me on Deck the Hallmark, of course. And so, uh, you know, check all those out. As for this show, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts. And if you leave us a five-star review there, we will read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that you can stream this show, including Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, YouTube Music, Amazon Music, uh, CastBox, Podbean, and many more. Uh, you can drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at linoleumcast on uh, Instagram and Blue Sky and Facebook. And, of course, we always thank uh, our Blue for our wonderful theme music. And you can see what he's up to at blue, B-L-E-U dot bandcamp dot com. Um, lots more to come real soon. We hope you'll be here for it. In the meantime... Join our Patreon and subscribe to things. Oh, yeah. Trying to make a living here, you know? <laughs> so yeah if you want to you want more details about my uh my 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 uh monte cristo or dave's chestnut cake uh all kinds of things it's all happening patreon.com yes. slash linoleum knife. that's right okay now goodbye <laughs>